Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, we would certainly call this a special Sunday, a Sunday that we have dedicated to remembering how you came to earth. And Lord, we want to thank you for the greatest gift that was ever given, which is the Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, born in Bethlehem's manger, crucified on Calvary's hill, and yet risen again. Lord, we ask that you would aid us, that we may worship you today and bring honor and glory to your name. We pray for the special music, the preaching, the offering, each part of this service, that all would be done with your glorification and your worship in mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, let's take our Bibles and open up to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And yet, uh, I want to call your attention to a verse that's often taken somewhat out of context, but in the book of Job. But if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 10, I just want to read you the uh, verse out of Job, uh, part of it actually. It says, The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was Job's response after having lost absolutely everything that the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And his summary statement was, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And what Job was doing was he was exhibiting faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And Job said, The Lord is the one that gave me everything. The Lord is the one that allowed everything to be taken away from me. And he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He said, God is still good. And uh, that is what faith is all about. Now, how many of you are expecting to receive something tomorrow? I mean, nobody's getting anything for Christmas? I saw, I saw a few snickers there, but uh, we, we give gifts. And uh, I'm sure you all heard the news uh, broadcast of the uh, um, package bandits who were stealing things that were left at people's doorsteps. And then you had the guy... Uh, dressed up as a representative from Toys for Tots, going to the uh, department stores and trying to steal the gifts that were be given to be given out to those that... uh, There's just something wrong with somebody that would take someone else's Christmas presents. Now, isn't that true? I mean, there's just something deep down wrong with somebody like that. And, And we think about giving and... Yes, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's why parents enjoy Christmas just as much or more than the children. Amen. Uh, But I want us to look at something today. Look at Christmas a little differently. God is the great giver. Amen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But... 
Before God can give you anything, He's got to take some things first. And uh, just so you understand where we're going here, I, I want to read the definition of the word take. It says, to lay hold upon, get into one's hand by force or artifice. Uh, that means by strategy or trickery, to get something to seize, capture, especially in war, to make a prisoner. Hence, to get into one's power, <coughs> to win by conquest, also to apprehend a person charged with an offense, to arrest, to seize property by a legal process. Now, that's not a very friendly definition, is it? Uh, the idea of taking is to physically seize either by power or force. It is, uh, sometimes they'll say they've uh, taken uh, prisoners in a battlefield situation. That's what the word take means. And so, uh, before God can give you anything, He's got to take some things first. I want you to understand, God is talking about, we are, I am preaching about things that God has to take by force, things that God has to use His power to remove from us so that He can give us things. Can anybody think of something God has to take before He can give you anything? Well, the first thing is in this passage right here, and we're going to start reading in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 10, down through verse 12, so we get the context here. For having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices... I'm sorry, let me start reading again. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then... Would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering... Thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, 
sat down on the right hand of God. This morning, I'd like us to try to grapple with this truth that God had to take away His law before we could be saved. If you want to know what the struggles of the cross was all about, why Jesus had to suffer so, why it had to be such a terrible and horrible death, it was to allow you and I to understand the work that God was doing. You see, the law of God is not in our providence. It's not in our area of authority. We didn't set it up. God did. And only God can remove its penalties. Only God can remove us from the jurisdiction, from the judgment that was in the law. And that's what this passage is talking about. I've met people over the years, they... uh, they, they love animals more than they do their own soul. Uh, they respect uh, little cats and, and, and squirrels and all these things. And they get upset when you start talking about sacrificing animals. They say, it's a slaughterhouse religion and uh, it's so bloody. And why did they kill all those poor, innocent little animals? They never did anything. Well, right here it says God had no pleasure in that killing those animals. But it had to be done. You see, the Old, temp- the Old Testament word is atonement. The idea of an atonement is making an agreement. The, the, the picture of the Old Testament sacrifice is rolling back the day of final judgment. It's putting it off. And God said, I will accept the death of those innocent animals until the time that the sacrifice that I have prepared to take away the law can be offered. That's why Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger. He was born to take away the law that he might establish grace. We have to understand here that all of those sacrifices, every one of them, you know, people say, uh, I've even met some people that claim to believe the Bible that said, well, they got saved in the Old Testament by, by keeping the law and doing those things. And my question was always, well, what about Daniel? He was removed from the city of Jerusalem as a little boy. The temple was destroyed. Daniel, in his adult life, never offered one sacrifice to God. The temple was destroyed. Is Daniel going to miss heaven because he couldn't keep all the laws? Absolutely not. The Bible calls him greatly beloved of the Lord. You see, Daniel had something that you and I can have today. It's called faith. Amen? And this thing of the law was to help us understand one thing. The law's purpose is very singular. It is to judge you and I as sinful before holy God. That's the only purpose of the law. 
I wish we could get our legislatures to understand that God's purpose in giving a law is not to prevent people from doing wrong. There is no law that has ever stopped anybody from committing a crime. The law is to judge the guilty. And if that were carried out, fewer people would commit crimes. used to be that way. But we live in a world where you can get away with it. Well, I'll tell you what, in God's court, I don't care if you do have Johnny Cochran as your lawyer. You're not getting away with it. In fact, there is no lawyer living on earth that will argue in that court except one. His name is Jesus. You see, he came to take away the first. He came to remove the law. Uh, I don't know how many people over the years I've met and they say, Pastor, I'm, uh, I'm getting to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. Of course, if you've been around here very long, you know what my first question is. Could you tell me then, please? I have yet to find a person trying to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments that could give me over three. Now, you would think that if you were serious about getting to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments, that you might at least learn them. Hello? But you need to understand something. The Ten Commandments are the summary. They're the preface to the law. There are 613 commandments. And God is no respecter of commandments, by the way. He doesn't say, oh, well, the 603 others, they're, 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 uh, uh, we can kind of overlook, we'll only be concerned about the ten. No. Otherwise, God wouldn't have given the 603 others if he wasn't concerned about that. He was concerned about every one. And Jesus came and kept every one. Never once did he transgress a commandment. And his reward for living that perfect, sinless life was to then take the penalty upon him for every man, woman, and child that ever lived in the human race and suffer in our place. Tell you, in America, we have uh, a, a legal system that will not allow you to serve someone else's sentence. If someone else... If, if your son or your daughter, Lord forbid, were sentenced to 10 years in prison, you cannot go and serve that, that sentence for them and let them go free. Uh, we have laws that demand that the guilty person serve their own prison sentence. Well, God said you could never serve your sentence because it would be hell forever. And so I'm going to allow my son, as the infinite God, to satisfy my holiness by serving your sentence. And he did. 
the infinite God was able to accomplish in a finite period of time, those hours he hung on the cross, what would take every man, woman, and child that was ever born in human history an eternity in hell to do. If you want to know why Jesus cried out in anguish, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? was because he was paying the price for our sins. And he did that. So that God could remain just and still love us at the same time. Do you understand that? You see, we live in a world where, well, that's not a big deal. Let's just kind of, I don't know where that sweeping under the carpet thing came from. It doesn't work. I've tried it. There's a big lump there where, I mean, everybody walks in, they see a lump under the carpet. They know what you've been doing. Uh, And it's the same way when we stand before God. God is just. I I do not understand these people that worship a God that says, well, um, that's okay. I'll forget about it. Wait a minute. What kind of God would that be? They would just say, oh, that's okay. You see, God is perfect in His holiness. He is perfect in His justice. He is perfect in His love. And He illustrated that by giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Then a little over 1,800 years later, He died on the cross to pay every demand of the law so that He could take away the law And we would no longer be under the interdiction of death and judgment and hell forever. He took away the law that he could give us grace. And all God's people said. But in order for him to do that, what was John the Baptist's testimony of Jesus in John chapter 1 and verse 29? Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. You know, Christmas time is a time of remembrance. And if we were honest, there's not a one of us in here that couldn't remember some bad things in our past. Isn't that true? But Jesus came to pay the price for our sins. And He will take them away. You know why God has to take away your sins? Is because you won't let them go. He's got to wrench them from your grip, though they're dragging us to hell, though they separate us from God, though they're the root of every bad thing that we know about in this world. We hold on tightly to our sins because it's all we got. Jesus will take them away. I don't know how many people over the years have said, well, I... Ah, I know God can forgive me, but I can't forgive me. Well, wait a minute. Are you bigger than God? Since when did God die and leave you in charge? 
You know, we, we would never knowingly argue with God, but we do. When he answers a prayer in a way that we don't like, what do we do? God, couldn't you have done a little better than that? I, I remember hearing a preacher one time, he said, Well, if God doesn't answer your prayer, yell a little bit. Make sure he hears you. Don't try that in my house if you're one of my children. Every once in a while, somebody will be sitting at the table and they'll, Pass the salt! Whoa, what happened here? Well, Dad, I asked five times and nobody listens to me. Well, I may be deaf, but God isn't. Amen. He sent Jesus to take away the law. But he took away our sins. Individually, personally, the things that we have done, Jesus took them upon the cross. I I don't know why. I do know why. We listen to the devil is why. We as Christians go back to the graveyard of forgiven sins and try to dig things up that God has buried. You have no business there. Because Jesus has taken away our sins. He has pulled them out of your tightly closed fist. All you have left are calluses and blisters from the uh, from the removal of those forcibly by the Lord Jesus Christ. Open your hands and embrace His love and His grace instead of trying to hold on to things that God has already forgiven and taken away on the cross. Can we say amen to that? You see... He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 3, 5 says, And ye know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. I've been reading the uh, life story of George Washington written by John Marshall, the first justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, you can get it free on any ebook place. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting story, and, and it's told by a man who personally knew George Washington and, and talked to him and had access to his papers and, and, and things. And one of the things that they talked about was that General Washington ordered a vaccination of all American troops for smallpox. Now, in those days, they didn't have needles they stuck in your arms. What you did was you actually found someone that had the disease, and uh, <clears throat> we'll try not to get too graphic here, uh, but you had to borrow a little of the uh, seepage of the, of the disease and pass it to actually purposely catch the disease. But it was always a weaker strain. And once you had it, in a few days you would be better. Smallpox was like the plague in those days. It killed 70 to 80% of the people that got it. 
And when it went through a camp of soldiers, you could lose the battle in a week. Not because you, the enemy pulled one trigger, but because you buried half your soldiers. But you know the thing about a vaccination? In those days, they literally would cut your arm and put the pus in there to give you the disease in a weakened state so that you would not catch it in its full strength and die. Now we're so antiseptic, everything's in a little test tube, and you go in, they just stick a needle in your arm, and you're all done. That disease has been eradicated. It is not part of our culture today. We don't even know about it. But in the late 1700s, it would wipe out entire towns. But unless you personally took the vaccine... You weren't protected. And you know, that's the way God forgives sins. He has cured the disease of sin. He has taken away our sins, but He won't do it unless you come to Him personally. And then it doesn't matter how tightly you hold on, He's going to get rid of them. Amen? He will take them from you. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. He takes the law of God. He takes away our sins. If we would understand this next thing that God wants to take out of our life, it would change us forever. Look at verse 18, 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And by the way, I want you to look down to verse 8, back to verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If God lives in your life, you have love, and love will cast out fear. Do we have to look up a definition of cast out so that you understand casting out and taking are about the same thing? Amen? Uh, It is a forcible removal. But how many of us live in fear all the time? I'll tell you. It's because we don't walk close enough to God. I've met people, oh, I'm just too afraid to ask God. Well, you don't know the God of the Bible then. The God of the Bible wants us to approach His throne boldly. Read Hebrews chapter 4. You see, you need to understand that in the Old Testament... The mercy seat that was sitting on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the physical representation of the throne of God. God said, that's where I'm going to meet man, is at a blood-sprinkled mercy seat. And if the high priest went into that place any time except on the Day of Atonement, 
He died. If he went in on the Day of Atonement and wasn't sanctified, he died. If he didn't have the blood to sprinkle on the mercy seat, if he didn't fill the holy, most holy place with the smoke of the incense before he stepped in the veil, all of those were capital offenses. And now he says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, we live in a world where people are so unafraid of God. I saw a t-shirt that said, Jesus is my homie. It, it was all that I could do not to rip that thing off and hand it back to him. That's blasphemy. Aren't you glad that our God doesn't kill people for blasphemy? And he doesn't command us to do that. That's, that's another God. That's not the God of the Bible. You can curse God. You can do anything you want. He's going to stand you before his judgment one day. But let me tell you, if you'll let him, he'll take away the law. He'll take away your sins. And he'll take away your fear. You don't need to be afraid to approach God if you're truly saved. You don't need to be afraid to bring any request before Him. You don't need to be afraid that you have come up with something so big He cannot answer it because He is God. For years it would trouble me some, someone had come up with this, I don't know when. Uh, could God make a rock so big that He can't lift it? And, you know, they, they really thought they were smart. And the problem that bothered me was I didn't have an answer for them. I, I like to answer people. I, I just do. It's part of having a Bible and studying it. And then I realized God has made many rocks that are so big he cannot lift them. It's the heart of the man or woman who refuses to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God cannot lift it. And he won't unless they come to him. You don't need to be afraid of God. In the sense that you can't approach him or that you can't talk to him. The Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you knew who God was, you wouldn't ask him for half of the things that you do. You, you would respect Him more. That's what is being said there. And we would honor Him. And we would be careful. You see, what's that next phrase there? You still have your Bible open to verse 18. Look at verse 19. It says, we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. God has made us accepted. How did He do that? Well, He took away the law. He took away our sins. And so now we do not need to fear that God will not hear us and will not talk to us. God has answered the sinner's prayer positively every time in history it's been prayed. Honestly. And simply before God. It's not a matter of how sincere you are. 
It's a matter of letting God do what only God can do. And He'll take away your fear. He'll take away your fear of men. Revelations chapter 2, this fall, last later summer, we went through those letters. And he's talking to his church there. And he says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation in ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Turn with me to uh, the book of Philippians, if you would. Philippians chapter 1. And in verse uh, 27, it says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. You know, the best thing you can do to a bully is not be afraid of them. That's, that's what they want. I mean, when the IRS calls you up on the phone, what do they want? They want you to be afraid. They want you to be intimidated. And, and when you're not, it scares the living daylights out of them. When, when you're not intimidated by the bullies, they, they don't know what to do with you. We go back to one of the stories of World War I. The Germans and the England and, and France had been fighting for years, and all of a sudden, in 1917, the Americans show up. Hardly a year before the wars ended. The Americans were different. When they were told to go up over the edge, uh, they went right into the face of the bullets, right into the face of death, and a lot of them died. But you know what? They took the ground they were supposed to take. They weren't always victorious, but they tell the story of Bella Wood, just one of the little skirmishes the Germans had put themselves behind every rock, every boulder, every strong place, even tied themselves in trees. And all of a sudden, Germans started dying at 300 yards. They couldn't even see who was shooting at them. But it was some Marines that knew what they were doing. And not all of them made it, but they cleared that wood. And when it was all done, the Germans were talking about the American devil dogs, is what they called them. They, they, just, they just wouldn't stop. They weren't afraid. Can I, can I tell you one of the things that has made the American soldier not afraid of death in many instances was the fact that they had a faith in Jesus Christ? Not all of them, but a lot of them. The most decorated soldier 
in World War I was a man named Alvin York. He became a Baptist preacher after the war and preached the gospel to those simple people in the Appalachian Mountains down in Tennessee where he was from. He believed this book. And when he signed up, when he was drafted, actually, he wouldn't even pick up a gun and fire it at the enemy. He said, I'm willing to die, but I'm not willing to kill someone else for my government. But a very wise captain gave him a couple of books on American history and told him, go home and read those books and read your Bible. And he found a verse in the Bible that said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God. And it helped him put in his mind that it was okay to defend his home and his country against the evil aggressors. You see, God will take away the fear of other men if you let him. We hold on to it tightly sometimes. But God will take away that fear and He'll take away the fear of death. He is the one that's going to destroy the, the, him that hath the power of death. That is the devil according to Hebrews chapter 2. But I'd like you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9 if you would. You see, God has to take away the law. There are those that cling desperately to it. He takes away our sins. He takes away our fear. But here's something that God does that no one else can do. Verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 9. Read carefully with me. How much more... Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, we looked at the word take. We looked at the word um, um, cast out. And and now the, the verb in charge here is the verb purge. And Normally, that's used in a medical sense, talking about trying to rid your body of these things. But uh, in a a, uh, uh, political sense, uh, Stalin was the great purger. He murdered more of his own countrymen than any outside force has ever done. And he never stood for those crimes. No one ever accused him or put him on trial. You know why? Because anybody that would stand up was already dead. He's a vicious, wicked man. You see, that word purge means to remove forcibly. Only God can reach inside your conscience and clean it up. Only God can do that. And to give you just a little idea how desperate that struggle can often be, we have a country that is full of mental institutions, full of people, because they cannot find peace in their conscience. But God can do it. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He not only died to take away your sins, to take away your fear, but He will clean that guilty conscience. 
He will allow you to take your sins. He remembers them no more. God has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. When our space shuttle used to take off, they would travel sometimes 10 million miles in one mission. If it was heading east when it took off, guess what direction it was heading when it landed? It would go around and around. You can't turn the space shuttle around, my friend. It only goes one direction. And if it was heading east when it took off, it was heading east when it landed. Because east never meets west. Now, if God had said from the north from the south, well, I was raised in the state of Maryland. That separates north from the south. Mason-Dixon line, right? No, actually, it's the north and south pole legally. Uh, But you can go north until you cannot take a step and head south. Then you're at the pole. But there's no east pole. You see, God will purge our conscience. He will take those thoughts and those things that we judge ourselves and He will take them away and let us worship Him. You know, that's why we sing the songs we do. Amen? I enjoyed that choir song today. They put a lot of hours into that. I love the story of that song. Come see the place, the little manger, the boat, the empty grave. But Jesus is coming back, and one of these days, He's going to be reigning. Amen? And we're going to get to see that if you're saved. If you let God take away the law, then you can embrace the forgiveness that Jesus comes, and He'll take away your sins, and He'll take away your fears so that you can have a living relationship with God, and He'll purge your conscience so you're not thinking about anything but God. Amen? But there's one other thing God will have to take before He can give you anything. Let's go back to if you're 1 John chapter 4. We just want to look at that verse one more time. We love Him because He first loved us. You know... We like to think that we sought after God. That that we had some part in this salvation thing. And here's where the Calvinist makes his most major mistake. God is capable of loving every human being and not writing His will over top of ours. You see, that's love. How many of you ever were loved by a person who wanted to tell you everything to do and how to do it and they're just going to smother you in love? I'll tell you what, that's not love. That's slavery. I, I don't want that kind of love. That's not the kind of love that God loved us with. He loved us with an opportunity to love Him back. But we need to understand, He started it, not me. You know what that means? He's going to take away my right of self-determination. 
He's going to take away my ability to choose. If you want to know why I hate the book, The Purpose Driven Life, here's why. is because the premise of that book is that God has given you certain determinations in your heart and He wants them there. The premise of the Bible is your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And God will change you. Amen? How many could you give testimony? How many of those here this morning could give testimony that God has done a better job with your life than you have? Could we say amen to that? So then why are we trying to tell God what to do? Let Him take it away. Be His servant. Not someone else's. Well, I'm my own man. Okay, what else do you lie about? Nobody is their own anything. I gladly stand here and tell you, God took away my choice of my life. And I'm so glad He did. You see, God took all these things. But He gave me so much more in exchange that it's not even worthy to try to explain. He took away the law so that I wouldn't have to go to hell. He took away my sins so that I could have fellowship with Him. He took away my fear so that no man, no group, not death, not even God Himself and wrong ideas about God would keep me from fellowshipping with Him. But then He reaches deeper and He cleans out my conscience. I'll tell you, the closer you get to God, the more you come to face with your unholiness and your sin. But God cleanses our conscience. And when we finally surrender everything to Him, that's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is talking about. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. I'll tell you what, it's absolutely unreasonable that the God of heaven would spend enough time to take away my sins and to love me. But I'm so glad that all he asks is for me to give him what's left of me. Amen? See, God gives, but he's got to take some things to give. Aren't you glad? Would you? You want to carry those things around? Not me. You see, God will not take them unless you let Him. All God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before You and we ask that You would help us, that You would work in our hearts and in our lives, that You would open the eyes of our hearts, that we may see and truly perceive 
what great things you have done. And Lord, that we would surrender our wills to the work that you've already done, that we would make this personal in our own lives. Lord, that we would worship you. Not only for what you give us, but for what you've taken away. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we start the invitation, Andrew's going to come and lead the song. If you need to come, the altar is open.